Welcome to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Danny Petrasic. I'm on faculty of bioengineering at the California Institute of Technology, and it is our pleasure to have Dr. Jeffrey Kay, professor of neurology and biomedical engineering, and also director of the Oregon Center for Aging and Technology at Oregon Health and Science University. Welcome, Dr. Kay. Thank you. Good to be here. Today, we're going to discuss the role of technology and caring for the elderly, and I'd like to focus on sort of the healthcare issues, healthcare policy, and some of the problems with the system. Maybe you could give us a little background on, on some of the current pressures that are promoting the adoption of such technologies that you're involved with. Sure. Well, I think one of the biggest drivers of using technology is the desire to say, well, we have to do something different because we have this healthcare crisis that everybody keeps talking about that seems to be, to a large degree, driven by not simply the aging of the population. I mean, it needs to be clear that aging is not bad. In fact, if people aged and were healthy, that would be wonderful. The issue is that there will be growing numbers of people with chronic conditions, and those are very costly to the healthcare system. And in particular, those conditions that uh, really lead to people needing high levels of either institutional or dependent kinds of care. So, you know, I think in the last something like $135 billion is spent in Medicare and Medicaid. That's not the total. I think 60% of that is Medicare and Medicaid is spent for long-term care services for the elderly in the U.S., And sort of the hidden cost is that billions more are spent on lost wages for informal care that the family gives and lost opportunity there as well for, you know, economics and not to say the just personal problems that families face. So because of that, there's an interest in trying to figure out could technology either delay or promote the ability for people to remain independent and healthier longer. And I think that's the crux of where this interest is coming from right now. In California, we have dozens and dozens of emergency rooms that are closing down, and access to physician care is increasingly difficult, and in particular for the elderly when it comes to transporting them and making arrangements and so forth. Do you see this as a significant factor in pressing towards the adoption of what I would call a distributed healthcare system rather than like in, these, in one center? Well, I think that the workforce issue is a huge issue. I know in our own state here in Oregon, there will not be enough nurses or primary care providers if you do the simple math of numbers of people and conditions they will have needing care. So the idea that you could actually get more informative data continuously that would be generated from homes that were, for example, monitored, and then have expert systems that would identify those individuals who may need some personal touch and put your resources where they're most effective, I think is a very compelling model. It definitely needs some proof, or at least a little more evidence, as to how it will all work. But I think that certainly it's a logical argument that you can see a lot more people, and most importantly, in a more effective way, if you take advantage of the technology. That makes complete sense to me. What would you say, with respect to the resistance of this kind of activity progressing, is resistance coming, for example, from reimbursement? And I know you've mentioned this in the past, the patients themselves. I mean, are they reluctant to take on such an idea? Well, we've, we've done a lot of work in that area, surveys and focus groups of different constituencies among the elderly, and they're actually younger groups as well. And what we found is that the trade-off between living independently, empowering people to be healthier, is seen to, to be a very highly valued concept. You know, everybody uses a credit card, and you would say, well, every time you swipe your credit card, 
there's actually an incredible number of people that actually are looking at your data. I mean, or when you buy something online, the next time you buy something, it tells you that, well, people who bought this bought these other things. So the reason people will swipe their credit cards is they, first of all, they see tremendous convenience and value. And secondly, they have a sense that it's somewhat secure. Many of us, or probably most of us, have gotten that call that asks us, did you really spend $1,000 in Florida yesterday? So the idea, I think, for most of the people that we've surveyed is, number one, that they actually see value, that there's a, yes, they are going to potentially give up some of their privacy or potential security, but there's true value that vastly overweighs that. And then secondly, there really is a bona fide attempt to really make sure that things are secure and not going to be invasive of their privacy. Clearly, we see, I think, rapid adoption now, for instance, of electronic medical records, which was not the case, I would say, five years ago. You know, we've gone to paperless medicine in general. So do you see this sort of falling within that same umbrella, you know, at some time soon? You know, the electronic medical record, in some ways, it's being driven a little bit by this perception that, in fact, the government is, is actually says this is good and something we need to achieve. And so those perceptions and whatever ends up happening to facilitate that, I think right now that's not clear, but I think it's extremely important. I think that the other development that will drive this is the fact that companies that are not traditionally healthcare companies are now in this space. So Microsoft, Google, Intel, Walmart are now healthcare companies. I think they are also going to drive this movement toward people feeling like they're part of this information technology universe and their medical information is a part of that universe. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Danny Petrasik. Our guest today is Dr. Jeffrey Kay, Professor of Neurology and Biomedical Engineering and the director of the Oregon Center for Aging and Technology at Oregon Health and Science University. And today we're discussing technology and its impact on caring for the elderly and telemedicine. Dr. K, do you see the physicians as being resistant to this sort of thing, sort of leaving the traditional model of caring for elderly, let's say in particular in the clinic or at the hospital? I actually work at the Portland VA, which actually the VA is a very forward-thinking organization, I think, in terms of actually trying to use uh, electronic medical systems, both for the providers as well as for the veterans. They very early on had developed a, a very good electronic health record uh, for providers, and now they actually have a system called My Healthy Vet, uh, which allows veterans to get online and look at their medications and appointments and things like that. So I work at that organization, and I also work at our university, which has its own electronic medical record system. And I think what physicians are facing is they're feeling the crunch of input-itis. The difficulty that people have is you have to input a lot of information into the electronic medical record that right now the form factor is typing. And you're typing in an office setting, which is designed for a 15-minute you know, at most visit. I think a lot of physicians feel just at the point of care that this is a new thing that sort of added on to other perceptions of, you know, well, I'm being asked to do yet more and more for less and less. And it's a real concern. On the backside, once the information is in, I think a lot of people recognize the, you know, the benefit of being able to uh, easily pull up information. But at this point, I think there actually are some limitations on this information input side that at least the people who've trained up until now aren't so comfortable with. Now, whether voice recognition continues to proceed as it seems to in such a way that, in fact, this is not an issue anymore, 
10 years from now, I think is very real. And in fact, the concept that the entire visit will just be automatically transcribed. So there's no need to actually do anything except talk to the person is quite possible. Again, it just takes a lot of new ways of thinking about things and the resources to do it. Precisely the idea that came to mind was voice recognition, which has improved tremendously. And I think that one of the factors that have made the practice of medicine depressing over time has been documentation, that you spend endless time writing things down and taking away time from the actual care and interaction from patients. And that goes for physicians, nurses, and everybody else. This may be driving a welcome solution. The other side of this is actually internet communications with patients and families. So the barrier there, again, I think a lot of physicians are concerned that will they be drawn into a chat room all day, you know, or is this actually on the other side, this can be a very efficient way of actually conducting short-term bits of information that they then don't have to spend telephone tag time later in the day dealing with. But right now, uh, until very recently, this was not something that people saw as being reimbursable. Actually, now I understand that, for example, Aetna Healthcare is either planning or is reimbursing for email time spent with patients. So I think those trends are very important and could really change the way we practice medicine. That's fascinating. Let me just kind of expand this topic just a little. Do you see this as sort of expanding into perhaps pediatrics or other areas of medicine? It knows no age. In fact, as a person who's dealt mostly in the geriatric population, my colleagues, um, in fact, my next-door neighbor is a pediatrician, <laughs> and we have these conversations all the time that in, in many ways, at the two ends of the, of the life spectrum, the family, there's usually a caregiver or family member who's also a part of the equation. And so in a simple way, uh, actually very much these same kinds of approaches apply to all spectrums of the, uh, the age wave. Yeah. And, and, and something that occurs to me is that this kind of care really knows no borders in some sense where you could expand this care easily over the whole world. It's no longer you know, limited to visiting a particular office or a particular geography. It sort of forces us to start to think about healthcare in a different way, I think. Well, I think the opportunity to, you know, at the level of information technology and monitoring and expert systems, it's definitely going to be and is already a global market. On the other side, I think people do still value very heavily and appropriately personal interactions and high touch. And I think that the real goals should be that these uh, methodologies allow one to actually better use their time for one-to-one personal interaction and actually help provide more personalized care, not less. This topic is so vital. I would love to have the opportunity to invite you back again sometime to sort of follow up and keep track with your excellent work. I'd be uh, thrilled to do it. I want to thank our guest again, Dr. Jeffrey Kay, who's a professor of neurology and biomedical engineering, and he is the director of the Oregon Center for Aging and Technology at Oregon Health and Science University. I am Dr. Danny Petrasic, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Please be sure to visit our website at www.reachmd.com, which features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. And for comments and questions, please call us toll-free, 888-MD-XM-157. And thank you very much for listening. 
You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Here is a sample of the great shows airing this week. This is Dr. Jennifer Hsu. This week we'll be speaking with Dr. Harry Kaiserling at Emory University School of Medicine. We'll be talking about the 5-in-1 combination DTAP, IPV, and Hib vaccine. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. Join me this week and I'll be talking with Dr. Dan Ariely at Duke University. We'll be talking about Predictably Irrational, Our Patients and Placebos. And this is Dr. Leslie Lunt. Join me this week on our special segment on children's health, where my guest will be Dr. Beth Mallow. We will be discussing the use of melatonin for insomnia in children with autism spectrum disorders. Thank you for listening to ReachMD XM157, where we change topics every 15 minutes. For our complete weekly guest and program guide, visit us at ReachMD.com. This is Dr. James Levinson with Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia, and you are listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.